Hello, welcome to the Ether Podcast. My name is Rodrigo. And my name is Rachel. And I'm Ryan Ebner. And uh, today we are going to delve deeper into Mark 1, uh, verse 16 through chapter 3, which is, this is the passage that we just did a video on. And as usual, in our podcast, we delve deeper into whatever material we covered in our video. Before we get into it, though, I do want to say some thank yous to all of our Patreons whose support we count on to produce this content, uh, and also to all the people who have followed us on social media. We're truly grateful for your support. And uh, without further ado, let's get going. What we're going to touch on in this podcast is to really see how in this passage, again, the passage being Mark 1, verse 16 through chapter 3, how Jesus really defied expectations as far as social norms, religious norms, and even as far as who the Messiah really was. And because we are talking about the Messiah and the expectations of such, I think it's important that we talk about really quick as to who the Messiah was and why they were waiting for him in the first place. So uh, I'm going to skip some stuff and I'm going to jump to the time in Egypt in which the at this time the Hebrews were enslaved by them for quite a long time until they groan and pray to God to be freed and God frees them. With this freedom, one of the things that is promised to this Hebrew people is that they will have their own nation and their own kingdom, and it will be a blessing to the whole world. So after some wandering in the desert because of their disobedience, they finally get their promised land, and after some conquest, they become their, their own nation and their own kingdom. This, however, doesn't last very long. After a few hundred years, well, more than a few hundred years, eventually the kingdom splits. The northern kingdom of Israel is formed, and the southern kingdom of Judah is formed. And this sort of stays that way for a little bit. And because of their disobedience, God eventually allows for these kingdoms to be conquered. First, the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. And sometime later, the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. Now, here's the really important part as far as what we're talking about. When the southern kingdom of Judah falls and the city is destroyed and the temple is destroyed, God makes a promise that he will send a king that will restore the kingdom and doubt people with the Holy Spirit, and then the kingdom will never fall again. From the time that promise is made to the time of John the Baptist in the New Testament, about 500 years go by, probably a little bit over that. And during that time, Israel is conquered by a series of conquerors. And we find ourselves now when John the Baptist appears and says that the king is coming, we find ourselves 500 years later, and Israel is under Roman rule. Now, did I miss anything? Was that satisfactory? Is that cool? Anything to fill uh, in? Yeah, I, I think the, the history of it is, is amazing as you start connecting all of these dots back to different points in the Old Testament where you have to go all the way back to Genesis three of the fall of man, where God had created this, this perfect system. And it was according to Genesis one, good, good, good creates man. And it's very good. And it's the perfect setup. And man decides to destroy it by pursuing himself and by elevating himself into some status and taking care of his needs over what God had asked them to do. 
And God, even from that point in Genesis 3.15, we already start seeing signs of God saying, I've got a plan of restoring this and making everything right. And the promises continue on, starting with Abraham and seeing that, that God says that, uh, that, that a blessing is going to come from your line. And Judah is promised that the scepter will never leave from the line of Judah. And you start seeing even before Egypt and before um, the exile that God already has a plan. And you start seeing this Messiah character take on different shapes. I think what's going to become surprising as we get into Mark is people had this idea of who the Messiah was. And you can see throughout the rest of the Old Testament that it's continually taking on different pieces and different elements of he's going to be a conquering hero. And then you start seeing in, in some of the prophets that he's going to be uh, sacrificed. And, and I think that people had a view that fit their time and their place. And they kind of grabbed onto something and said, this is my version of the Messiah. Mm. And so when Jesus shows up and starts doing what he did, it caught people off guard because their version of the Messiah was not him, was not his version of the Messiah. Right. And actually, one of the things that we talked about two videos ago was that very fact that when John the Baptist as sort of the messenger of the king and the Messiah show up, how people miss them because they don't look the part. I mean, John the Baptist doesn't look the part of a, of a king's messenger, and certainly a carpenter from a small town in the middle of nowhere does not fit the part of a king. And so this whole theme early on in the book of Mark is sort of continued as Jesus begins his ministry and really begins to defy a lot of expectation. Ryan, I know that uh, you've read sort of what we've covered and you sort of have a a summary of all the themes and all the things that are talked about from Mark 1, verse 16 to chapter 3. So uh, would you please share that with us? So Mark opens up in this blistering speed and blistering pace, and he uses some form of the word immediately, and then they went, and then they did, and you start seeing this, this really quick series of actions that Mark is laying out a character of Jesus. And it's hard to, it's hard to sit down and, and look at one single verse because of the pace that Mark sets out. Um, he uses immediately or quickly, or then they did this over a thousand times. It shows up in just these 16 chapters. It's amazing how, how he's wanting this pace to continue. Yeah. Um, and so as you look at the three chapters, I think it's important to look at the whole three chapters instead of one verse at a time because it, it does go so quickly. Right. And even, you know, in putting the video that goes together with this podcast together, I had a really hard time picking which passages I was going to concentrate on because I felt like absolutely there was so much. And when I tell you that I rewrote the script for that video like three or five times, like I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> Every time I finished one, I was like, no, this is, not, this is not making the point here. And it was really, really hard 
because again, we try to keep our videos short, like no more than 10 minutes. So my choice was either make a bunch, like two or three 10 minute videos or make a 20 minute one. And I feel like we landed in a really good place. Like I'm happy with the video, but this is by far the hardest video we put together about the book, about the book of Mark. And it was, and it's funny because I, it, it was frustrating in that it felt like I never ended with a script, but at the same time, it was really exciting <laughs> because there's just so much stuff I want to talk about. And so... <laughs> and then immediately you went to the drawing board to make a new script. Yes. No, that's exactly what happened. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Well played. <laughs> I think that was the most amazing thing, re- rereading this, was it almost became an inner joke to myself as I was reading it because you could almost feel when the immediately was coming because you get so into kind of the pacing that he has when he's telling this. Um, I think the other one that- It's like listening to a three-year-old, isn't it? Yeah. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then- And And then then they were all amazed. (laughs) Like, that was another phrase that I felt like kept coming up over, and then they were all amazed. But just the immediacy of it, I even, so I've been reading, on my Bible app, I have an interlinear Bible. It's Hebrew and Greek. And there was a part of me that I was like, okay, what is this word? What is this Greek word that he keeps using? Like, I need to find out from a definition standpoint. And yeah, that is exactly what that word means. It means immediately. Immediately. (laughs) Like there's not another real like iteration of that word. And so it is, it's just striking Particularly just, I mean, I just counted from verse 16 to the end of chapter one. He uses just the, it's translated immediately nine times just in those verses, not including chapter two or chapter three. So it has this almost frenetic pace to it because it's just Jesus going here, doing this, going here, doing that, and just interacting with people over and over and over again. Yep. I sort of got you off there, Ryan. Is there anything else that you want to share on the overall theme of this big chunk of passage? Yeah, yeah. Um, what we see in, just before this passage is Jesus being introduced, and now this is where Jesus starts to come and take over his ministry. We started with uh, Mark one fourteen. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God where now the focus is on Jesus. And so we get this, this shift, and John or uh, Mark is saying, all right, I've introduced him. We've laid it out. I'm telling you right now that he's the Messiah. Now let's look at what he does. See him prove it. Let's look at the miracles that he does. Let's look at the things that he says and the actions. The things that I was looking at and seeing is how different he was from what people expected. And I think that, the discussion that we had about the Messiah at the beginning is important because there was this expectation of this guy. When he comes, he's going to fit this sort of prescriptive look. He's going to do these certain things. He's going to have this attitude. And and here's what he's going to do when he comes. And Jesus defied it all and, and broke with a lot of expectation. And the, the three ways that I saw him breaking with it was that he broke with religious expectations. So here come a rabbi and the Messiah breaking with the, the main 
movers and shakers of the day with the Pharisees and the scribes. And they didn't like what he was doing. He also defied some expectations of who the Messiah was and what the Messiah was going to do. And he also defied social and familial norms, ways that people just, this is how families work. This is how you work in a community. This is how you uh, fall together with people. And he stood against some of those things in, in very surprising ways. Uh, we talk a lot about Jesus, the love of Jesus. And, and some of these things, he's pretty, he's pretty blunt and he's pretty, hey, I know you've got this expectation, yeah. but I'm not going to be gentle necessarily with this. I'm, <laughs> this, is, this is what I believe. This is who I am. And I don't want there to be any confusion about that. It's interesting because I think, I think there is an element where Jesus is defying expectation, but there's also an element in which he's blowing people's minds. And let me, and I cover this in the, this passage in the video, but there was a detail that I wanted to get in there that I just couldn't find a way to do it. So I want to share it here. Okay. In, uh, from chapter one, from verses 21 through uh, 28, 28 Jesus walks into the synagogue and there's a man there with a, with basically who's demon possessed. And one of the things that I was reading, and I know that in our podcast, Josephus keeps coming back up. And once again, he's here. Uh, Josephus, who was a, a Jewish historian, he has an account in one of his books of a guy who was trying to exercise a person who had a demon in them. And basically the way that they did it, the way that they tried to do it was by making that person sneeze. <laughs> Let me tell you, when you sneeze, okay. it sounds like there's a demon coming out of you. <laughs> Just for the podcast world to know. So the usual exorcist or whatever, right, would sort of put herbs and stuff together and sort of stick it under a person's nose, hoping that they would sneeze so hard that they would sneeze the evil spirit out of the person. I don't know why I find that so funny. But, but yeah, but it's funny and it's kind of ridiculous, but especially it's kind of ridiculous when you compare it to the way that Jesus just in one sentence, in this passage that I'm talking about, in one sentence just tells this evil spirit like, hey, be silent and come out of them. And the thing just comes out. Mark is trying to paint this picture of this man who has an unusual authority that nobody's ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, there's a number of those scriptures in there about the people were amazed at his teaching, that, that it was unexpected who he was, and that he was totally different than anybody that they'd had exposure to. That nowadays with the internet, you can see all kinds of craziness online. Right. But these were small town folk who uh, may have heard rumors of some big stories from the next big town, but news didn't travel as quickly as it does today that there were all kinds of myths and uh, superstitions because their world was so small. And yet here's a guy who comes and defies definition in every place that he goes, that it's not just one place that he goes, but he goes down to the big cities and there the people don't know what to do. Uh, one of my favorite passages is where they wanted to throw Jesus off the cliff and he walks through the crowd. Yeah. I think, how did, how did that happen? 
And it's amazing just that people just didn't know how to respond to him in sometimes. And he doesn't fit inside any box that I, that I have. You were talking about Jesus defying social and religious expectations. And in some of these passages here, he sort of does both at the same time. In uh, in chapter one verses forty uh, through forty five, there's a leper that comes to Jesus and he's asking to be healed. And Jewish law basically made lepers into outcasts; like they were not allowed to live in town. They had to live on the outskirts of town. And I think in time, and I may be wrong about this because there may be something that's prescribed in the Old Testament about this. But I think this was was more of a social rule than it was like a like an actual uh, biblical one. But lepers used to wear a bell to basically let people know that they were coming. And you know, one of the things as you sort of try to picture this image, here is this man that probably lives well, that not probably he lives outside of town hears about this man who's performing miracles and probably Jesus and his companions could like hear him from a distance coming because they heard his bell. And he asked, he asked Jesus, if you're willing, can you heal me? And Jesus says, I am willing. And he tells him to be clean. But one of the things that he does is that he touches him. And see, touching lepers was also forbidden by the law. And here is Jesus basically performing an action that defies religious norm, that defies social norm, and it changes this man's life. You know, a lot is made, especially in the book of Mark, about the many times that Jesus tells people not to say anything. Hey, I'm going to heal you, but don't tell anybody. Right. But what he's doing is so amazing and so life changing that people can't 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 stay quiet. Yeah, they don't have a choice. Right. And it's but but I think the reason why is he is literally breaking so many barriers that people can't they can't they can't be quiet. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh the verse that you're you're thinking about is uh Leviticus 13, whole chapter about the law considering or concerning leprosy, and that section concludes with, uh, "He shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean, all the days that he has leprosy, he shall be unclean, uh, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp." And as you were mentioning, here comes a guy who, who wasn't where he was supposed to be, that said, "I'm going to break this this social rule, this this religious expectation, this religious law, because." I've got to get to Jesus. I know that what he has to offer me is something that nobody has and I can't get anywhere else. And many times you see throughout this, these uh, passages of second half of Mark one and through three, and even, even on forward that Jesus has to live outside the, the main towns because so many people are coming to him that there, there's this appeal that he brings because he can heal and he can 
make their bodies right. Yeah. You know, I, I love this little passage when I was, when I was reading for this, um, I just feel like it sticks out. I mean, even the, the, the lepers attitude when he approaches Jesus, the humility that he comes because there's like an understanding of if you're not willing, then I can leave this meeting still being unclean. But even just the words that he uses, like you will, you can make me clean. There is that spiritual aspect of being cleaned. And, um, you know, in even Jesus responding to him, he says, I will be clean. And it, it, he doesn't say, you know, in other passages, we see Jesus say different things to people when he's healing them. You know, later on, mm-hmm. he talks about, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, pick up your mat and walk. Again, I feel like words to me mean things. And there's a specificity in in word choice, I guess is what I'm saying. And just even the fact that Jesus identifies and says, be clean. Like for me, he's not just talking about the physical, right? you know, but he's also that whole idea of he is the, the man is unclean and therefore cannot participate in society, but he can't participate in the religious world as well. Can't go to the synagogue and, and worship and things. And that's one of the first things Jesus tells him to do. He says, go see, um, go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing for your cleansing, what Moses commanded. So it's even like, it's not just about I'm healing you, but I'm also telling you do what you need to do to be able to re-enter society to to worship God. Yeah. I think that the, the story about the, the paralytic on the mat in Mark two has, has that interesting twist that the man's lowered through the roof. And the first thing that Jesus says to him is, your son, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. And I'm sure that the guy was very grateful. He said, excellent. <laughs> Thanks for my sins being forgiven. But uh, what about this mat here? Uh, and it, it always struck me as odd that that was his, Jesus's first response was, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. And I think it goes exactly in, into what you're saying, Rachel, about these social norms what Jesus offers this guy here first, I think his intention was always to heal the man, but he said, son, not only that, I'm going to take care of that, but I want you to know that, that your sins, that this is not having to do with your sin. And even if it is, we're cleaning this away, that you are completely healed. That it's not just a physical healing that I'm offering you, but it's a complete healing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's interesting you bring this passage up because I think one of, you know, whenever I read these passages, I try to put my um, myself in the shoes of the audience. And I think a lot of times I try to connect with maybe what the Pharisees or the scribes may have been thinking. And, you know, Jesus said a lot of things that were just really hard to swallow if you've been the person that's sort of been in charge and even yeah. going back to the, the passage with the paralytic, one of the things that I was reading is this question that he asks, you know, the, he wants to heal this man. And he says like, Hey, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees go like, how can this man say that 
you know, he forgives sins. Only God can do that. And Jesus knows that they're thinking this. And he asks the question, what do you think is easier for me to say, be healed or your sins are forgiven? And it's funny because I read a lot of uh, commentaries. There's a lot of debate about that question. One is actually easier because healing a paralytic is pretty hard. And forgiving people's sins is pretty hard. And it's interesting because this is actually a debate, biblical scholarship of like, which of these is actually the hardest one? <laughs> it, but then I read this other commentary and it brought up a really good point. It doesn't matter which one's more important because Jesus says both and does both. Right. So it really doesn't matter. We're covered of, either way. Yes, we're covered either way. And it's pretty awesome because one of the things that I that I love about doing this is just to see how much of a boss Jesus is. <laughs> and this is a perfect example of it because it doesn't matter which one's easier. He does them both. He is a <laughs> boss man. And it's awesome and it's super encouraging. As somebody who follows Jesus, I read this stuff and I'm like, I'm on the right team. Like I totally am. This is my dude. <laughs> Can we talk about personal expectations that were defied while reading this section? Sure. Okay. So, so as you know well, my beloved husband, I have a cynical side to me. And... Um, so in chapter one, when um, in verse 35, it says, you know, that Jesus rose very early in the morning while it was still dark to go out and pray. And growing up in the church, growing up around the Bible, I've always heard this passage as being held as like the pinnacle example of spirituality, you know, like you are so amazingly spiritual if you get up really early and look even Jesus woke up before dawn to have a prayer time and as Christians this is what we should emulate and I'm not saying any of that is not true I was overwhelmed with all the different things Jesus was doing just even leading up to that passage that yeah he had to get up early because that was probably the only time he was having alone time. Yeah. And I think the point is, is that he made time to be alone. And it just so happens to be before dawn because that was the only time in his day. And I think for me, it helped reorient that because it was just really easy for me just to hear people talk about this passage and just kind of be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got to get up earlier. Like that's, kind of where my mind would go point is making the time it's not necessarily when it's done and I don't know I, yeah. I sometimes I need that cynical side of me just to kind of like be beat back a little bit so you were mentioning the legalism of getting up before dawn and this is kind of a sidebar thing that I came across recently I was listening to uh, Jen Wilkins who is this crazy cool uh, Bible teacher out of Texas. Um, and she made some comment kind of offhandedly almost where she's changed her routine of when she reads her Bible because she was getting up early 
and her kids were not seeing her read her Bible. Hmm. And so she changed her schedule so that her kids would see her reading the Bible. And I thought, wow, that's incredibly insightful. And as a parent of young kids, I'm always trying to figure out how am I going to make this a part of their normal, natural lives. And I know that it doesn't necessarily fit in nicely with what we're talking about, but it dovetailed on that. And I thought it was an interesting idea to share. Yeah. No, but see, Ryan Novak, you're not, you're, you're a little, it does fit because one of the things He's that using is using his pointer finger while talking, I am because one of the, one of the things that is present in this long passage we're talking about is sort of this, this friction between the orthodoxy, the orthodoxy of the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus's, I guess, proper application of scripture. And mm. a place where you see it is with the Sabbath, a place where you see it is with the whole question about fasting. And so, hey, the more strict we are to adhering to these things, the more righteous we are. And here mm-hmm. comes Jesus going, no. And especially when it comes to the whole idea of the Sabbath cannot precede the needs of people. Because mm-hmm. one of the disputes that they have about the Sabbath is, uh, you know, they're walking around in a field and they're hungry and, you know, they grab, they grab some grain and the Pharisees go like, oh, no, no, they're, they're working. They're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus goes like, no, like this is this is fine, guys. And also, Jesus is about to heal a man whose hand is withered on the Sabbath day, and they're looking at him like, how dare you perform this good deed, sir? Do you not see that this is the Sabbath? People are more important than the strict following of even these these religious things. And I think there is something to be said. What you were talking about, waking up early and reading the Bible and all this stuff. I think, you know, I want to say maybe four or five years ago, might have been longer. <laughs> right I did, about the time we had Emma, do you mean? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, but I, but I did. I think it coincided with this because right around the time where our daughter was born, I was doing a study on Mark. And that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned. Relax a little bit. Scribes and Pharisees, chill out. This, this orthodoxy cannot take precedent over people. Mark, at several times in these three chapters, tells us, tells us that Jesus is teaching. But we never get around to hearing what he's teaching, because every single time that Jesus shows up to teach somewhere, he is interrupted by people in Jesus trying to accomplish his mission to preach and to save the lost. He doesn't mind being interrupted by people who come around, hey, heal me. Hey, take care of me. Hey, do this. And I think like he, even though Jesus is very driven about his mission and he's here for a reason, that does not come at the expense of taking care of people. It's a hard lesson to learn. At the same time, it's one that Jesus is teaching here. Yeah, I think it just points to sort of a deeper human nature that we like things to be orderly. We like to categorize things. We like to have things fit in boxes. And I think 
God and Jesus just tend to be a little messier than we like <laughs> to have. Oh, it's definitely safer to have those expectations. Yeah. But I think also when, when we read about these in these passages about the Pharisees and the Jews, and we can look at the Pharisees because now in our culture, Pharisee is like a bad term, almost pejorative in a sense. Oh, you're being such a Pharisee. Like you're being so legalistic and stuff. We can set up these religious ways of doing things in our own lives or as a community of believers. Mm -hmm. Um, And like you said, Jesus kind of continually tears down all those things because he's constantly pointing us back to people. He's constantly pointing us back to loving God and loving people. Yep. Let me sort of begin to bring this for a landing and it, again, going back to this whole idea of Jesus defining expectation and redefining things and everything, one of my favorite, some of my favorite verses in this whole passage is at the end of chapter 3. This is Mark 3, verse 31. It says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to, they sent to him and called them. And a crowd was sitting around them, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around them, he said, here are my, my, I'm sorry, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And I talk about redefining things. I love this. Hmm. Because... Jesus is totally changing the meaning of family. Hmm. And I think one of the one of the interesting things in studying this time that Jesus was in, this was a deeply, I guess, segregated society in that the really important people would be really separated from the not so important people. And here is this man who is gathering a whole lot of fame and who people are going left and right trying to find them. There's not a single place that this man goes to, that Jesus goes to, where he is not met by a huge crowd and people needing him and people wanting to talk to him. And so much so that, that his family is worried. Like they're, they, they're, they think that he's going crazy. He is out of his mind. That he is out <laughs> of his mind. Jesus goes, no. I'm I'm not crazy. These people are my family. And one of the things that, that cannot be lost in reading and talking about what we've talked about is the fact that, yes, Jesus did kick doors down. And yes, Jesus defied expectation and he defied the status quo. But he did it for the good of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even thinking of our time, not that I want to get super political here, but we have a president that basically was elected on the pedestal of like, hey, this guy's defying the status quo. And he did. And I don't, again, I don't want to get super critical nor political or anything, but some of, some of the barriers that he broke and some of the expectations that he defied, he did so by not being the nicest person in the world. And he did so with with a rhetoric that 
I think we could all, in all fairness, we could say it wasn't necessarily the most friendly nor constructive. But you here, are making a lot of understatements, but yes. Because again, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just, I'm just making a comparison, yeah. all right? Because on the one hand, I do think it's important to note, rebels, there have been a million throughout history. And I think we tend to look at rebels and at people who defy society and all that stuff as, um, as heroes at times. And sometimes rebellions are good and sometimes rebellions are bad. But Jesus' rebellion is awesome. It is good in every way. Whereas, mm-hmm. whereas the, the scribes and the Pharisees' teachings were oppressive and burdensome, Jesus' teachings were life-giving and freeing. Mm-hmm. And where scribes and the Pharisees, with their teachings, really separated the sinners from the righteous and the clean from, from the unclean and all this stuff. Here is Jesus looking at this group of people and going, no, man, this is my family. And I think that's awesome. And I think that speaks volumes as to what he came to do. Yeah. That, that he came to save us all, to care for us all. He came to be part of all of our lives. And I think it encourages me deeply it makes me feel like, man, like I am, I am following the truth. I think it's one of the most delicate lines to draw in the sand of here comes my mom. And my mom is, is the one that I trust. And as a, as a guy, I think most guys connect most with their moms and most girls tend to connect most with their dads. And so when Jesus's mom shows up, it's like, oh, here comes Jesus's mom that he says, even with these close relationships, that I'm always pointing back to the Father. But at the same time, he doesn't disregard them. And he doesn't say, I don't want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I, I want to invite everyone in to be a part of my family. That it's not, it's not me and my, my physical mom and brothers and, and whatnot. That it, it's people with a like mind, a like heart that are together. And these people are my family. I I love them. I care for them. I'm protecting them. They're with me. I lean on them as they lean on me. I trust them. They're the ones that are going to take care of me. And as you see in his moment of greatest need, when he dies on a cross, mm-hmm. who's there? Well, his mom's there. But according to the, the gospels that we see, the next people that are there are his disciples. Right. It's the people that were in that room with him that it's possible, but we're not told that his brothers were at the side of his crucifixion, that we see the people who buried him it wasn't his family. It was some guy that followed him. Um, and you see that that's sort of the path that Jesus ended up following. Um, and it's encouraging to me to say, here's an expectation. And you can be my brother, but I've got some stipulations that you're going to have to follow right. and get in line with. Yeah. And I think it, it, it definitely falls in line with what God's overall goal is for people. I mean, we're placed in families 
at birth, you know, most of us, I know, I understand that, you know, there are circumstances where that's not the case, but, you know, we're, we're placed in a family or, you know, God designed it for us to be placed in a family at birth. But I think as we grow, our definition of family needs to grow where it grows outside of the little nucleus we grew up in. Because if, if God's love and his power are going to reach everybody, like we have to have a broader definition of who is family for that to happen. Yeah. To sort of close this out, what I, what I love about all of this is that Jesus is clearly opening the door to the kingdom and telling people, I'm bringing this thing and it's completely different than what you were expecting. And at the same time, it's much, much greater than you could have ever imagined. And that that's a pretty good note to close on, mm-hmm. if I say so myself. <laughs> and I think you do. Yes. <laughs> So with that, thank you so much for listening. Again, if you want to subscribe to our podcast, all the links will be at the bottom. Uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes and Google Play and wherever it is that you listen subscribe, to podcasts. Rate subscribe us. to to it. Give us a, a review. Share. Yes, share. Share many times. Uh, follow us on social media. And again, we are able to create this content through your support. So please consider become one of our patrons if you haven't please. done so. and with that thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one